0: So good morning everyone. Welcome to the river. My name is Charles. I'm the lead pastor here and it is good to welcome you here on Pride Month. Yay! All right. So I've been dealing with some knee inflammation, so I may have to sit from time to time. So just heads up on that. Uh, We are in a sermon series uh, called Flipped. The idea is because what is commonly assumed today about Christian faith is often so off as to be actually opposite of what she just taught. And so we are trying to look at how that has distorted, these assumptions have distorted faith and impacted our culture in the hopes that we can get back on the right track and that will result in better results for ourselves and for the culture at large. Okay, so that's the idea of the series. And today, I want to look at the topic of sin. What is sin? Fun topic, right? Woo-hoo! You know, we often, at this church, we don't really talk about sin very much, which has been questioned. A number of times over the years because churches oftentimes define themselves or faith in contrast to the sinful secular culture out there. So there's often a lot of talk of sin in church. Have you noticed that? But we don't. And so people question, why don't you stand up for God and the Bible against what ungodliness that's going on out there, um, especially with regards to the LGBTQ issue, which is relevant because it's Pride Month uh, here. A couple months ago, I had a conversation with a delightful young person who recently left her old church to join the river, and she shared with me what her pastor uh, how she, he sat her down and had a very concerned conversation with her out of out of concern and care for her uh, his question was you have to decide whether LGBTQ lifestyle is sin you, you have to decide whether the Bible calls that sin because it It's about your soul and your eternal destiny, right? So, you know, pastors often do that. This is a difficult question for the LGBTQ community. Such questions can be agonizing because if it's who they are, then the question is, did God create them twisted and flawed? And it can eat at you, it can eat at your soul. Is the does the Bible call it sin? And and if so, why am I in this place? Can you relate to that? Can you can you put yourself in that position? How that can be so hurtful and eat at your soul? Now some churches are more nuanced and say that it's okay to be LGBTQ as long as you don't act on it. That's called the side B position. And even some of the LGBTQ Christians believe that, espouse that, preach that. We do not agree with that because such a position causes psychological harm and brings up impossible questions like why would God put me in such torment? Right? Why would God, if that's who you are and you can't change it, why would God? Am I cursed from birth? Which was often a question that people born with genetic defects often asked, especially back in the day. Did God curse me as I was born? Our position is that, hell no, God doesn't curse you at birth. That's blasphemous. Our position is that being LGBTQ and acting on it is not sinful as long as it doesn't harm people, just like the straight community. So same conditions applied. This is in contrast to the standard church position. So what led us to take such a controversial stance? To answer that, Let's talk about what is sin. One popular take on sin is that whatever the Bible calls sin is sin. The idea is that God is higher than us. The Bible is higher than us. We don't know all the implications and ins and outs of what a particular behavior will cause So let the Bible decide. Let the Bible guide us. Don't question because every single verse is from the heavens. Have you? You're familiar with this position, right? Very, on the surface, very straightforward position. And since there are a handful of passages that call LGBTQ sin, churches should call it sin. Follow the Bible. Who are we to question? Such a position Conservative position is supported by a few Bible passages. One comes from Jesus himself. Just one from Jesus himself. And this passage is cited by the conservative church often. So let's take a look at this. Let's look at this difficult passage for our position and let's see if it can be flipped actually. Let's look at it. It's from... The book of Matthew, chapter 5, this has great insights on what is sin. Jesus said, Do not think I have come to abolish the Bible law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the Bible law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone Who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the Pharisees, Pharisees at the time were very zealous, conservative people of faith who wanted to follow every law of the Bible. He said you have to surpass them. And the teachers of the Bible law, theologians, pastors, preachers, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this passage is often cited by the conservative church, right? Obviously, every single command has to be obeyed, right? Difficult passage, right? So this seems to support the conservative church at first glance. But we need to go a little deeper. Dig a little deeper. Because Jesus' teaching is often very deep. And we will see in this passage how deep it is. We have to go deeper because did you know that it is against God's law in the Bible to wear clothes made of two different materials? Is anyone here wearing clothes made of two different materials? Anyone? How dare you? In the house of God, no less. It's blasphemy. I am actually wearing something. You know, 95% polyester, 5% cotton. Uh oh. Did you know it's an abomination to eat rare steak? Anyone here like rare steak? Abomination. We laugh. You might think it ridiculous, you know, roll our eyes. But let me refer back to the, the last time I preached about why the laws of the Bible was so important to the people of faith for so long. The insight comes from the great scholar of Jewish faith named James Kugel. In his book, How to Read the Bible, he's an Orthodox Jewish scholar from Harvard. He says that a great contribution of Jewish faith was the introduction of the concept of standing in the court of God as servants of God at all times in your life. So, you could be anyone. You could be a carpenter, you could be a shepherd, and you could be doing very menial things like, you know, looking after like sheep poop or something. But whatever you were doing, at all times you were standing in the court of God, who is the emperor of the universe, the king. And you are a servant of God, standing in the court of God, and it ennobled every single person. You see how it gives dignity and sense of worth to everyone, no matter what they were doing? Because if, even if you are like doing the littlest thing, you are still doing it in the court of God as a courtier. It ennobles you. It's a very powerful concept. You see that? And as servants of God, every command matters. Bible law is court protocol. And when you're standing in the court of a king in the ancient times, what you wear matters. You can't wear like jeans to (laughs) imperial court, right? There are right ways to dress. There are right things to eat. There are wrong ways to eat and right ways to eat. All of it matters. You see that, right? You can can give grave offense. Everything you do in life could bring honor to God or contempt to the court of God. You see that, right? So who are we to roll our eyes and say it's okay to eat rare steak? Who are we to just willy-nilly wear wrong clothes because you're standing in the court of God as a servant of God and I talked last, week, last time I preached about how Jesus flipped the whole concept by saying you are no longer servants of God you're friends of God and how friendship is different from servanthood so if you missed that take a listen if I may say so I think it was a good one Jesus flips the script and introduces an entirely new concept of righteousness. New covenant from old covenant. It is changed. And part of that is how we view sin and righteousness. In the new covenant, it is changed. And I will get to that new concept soon, but let me address why he flips it first. It's because... First off, nobody can follow such a system. It's impossible to follow every law. What we end up doing is we end up ranking laws and ignoring the ones that we find impractical, like clothes and steak. We don't really care about that anymore, right? And we care about murder. You rank sins For thousands of years, church and people have ranked cardinal sin, mortal sin, venial sin. Have you heard of these things? Right? Some sins are venial. You know, it's nothing. You just say uh, Hail Mary a couple of times and you're fine. It's fine. But if you kill someone, if you murder someone, well, that's a mortal sin. That's important. You might have to sell everything in the Middle Ages. You might have to pay for it with your life. That's something to pay attention to, right? You, you're familiar? We all live like that. But here Jesus says you, you can't do it. Even the smallest one is as important as the biggest one. Remember what he said? So all has to be important. And he elaborates further on what he means by that to drive his point. And he says, you have heard that the ancients were told this is an expression to talk about what the Bible says. You have heard that the Bible says you shall not murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court of God. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you idiot, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Come to good terms with your accuser quickly while you are with him on the way to court so that your accuser will not hand you over to the judge. And the judge to the officer, you will not be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out until you have paid the last quadrants. You have heard that it was said, Bible says, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye is causing you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is a very, very difficult teaching, don't you think? Very hard to take. Just think about it for a moment. Everyone who is angry with his brother... Whoever says, you idiot, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Who hasn't been angry with someone in your life? Anyone here can say, I've never been angry with anyone in my life ever. Anyone? I mean, something will be wrong with you if you raise your hand, right? Who hasn't? Have you ever driven in New York City? I mean, some people are nice. Not many. Oh. How many times have I yelled out, you dumbass, move your car. How many times have you, right? You go to hell? If you do that, that's equivalent to Murder. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, you can appeal to the cross, and it's okay. Well, church has been consistent for thousands of years with doctrine that repeated sin cannot be solved by the cross. Makes sense. If you keep murdering people and just say, well, the cross. Well, (laughs) I'm good. I just keep killing. I'll go to heaven. I mean, faith loses all spirit. Meaning, right? You can't do that. Repeated sin. You can't do it. So, have you been repeatedly angry? I have all the time. In fact, this week I can guarantee you I will get angry and thank you, idiot. (laughs) To someone on the phone or something, you know, if something will break down and I'll have to call the customer service and it's over for me. So are we all hellbound? Looking at someone and saying, Oh, he's hot. That's same as adultery. This this advertising culture we live in. Oh my gosh. Can anyone live like this? Can anyone follow this system? It's impossible. That's why if your view of sin is whatever the Bible calls sin is sin. To every little verse, you are hopelessly wrong. You are just hopelessly stuck, living in hypocrisy. You cannot follow the system. Not even Taliban can follow that system. Pharisees tried, and they could not. And I suspect Jesus is making a point here about what it means to fulfill the law. Remember, he says we have to fulfill the law. We need a new concept, new covenant, for sin and righteousness to fulfill the Bible law. And the sign that is changing the definition of sin upside down is in this passage. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the Pharisees, conservative Christians at the time, and the teachers of the Bible law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, they were fanatical about following every command in the bible that was their life's aim so how do you far surpass that kind of righteousness you have to have a different view he tells us in this passage what that different view is that will allow you to surpass that righteousness he says little later on he says you have heard that it was said bible says love your neighbor And hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your God in heaven. God causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward you will get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans, non-believers do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your God in heaven is perfect. There's some seats up here. Don't worry. Just come up here. There is no shame in this church. Just come and sit down. Be comfortable. Comfort is far more important. The righteousness of the Pharisees and Bible teachers It's represented by the mentality of love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Be good to your tribe, be good to your people, be good to your own people, be good to people who think like you, act like you, your neighbor. And you can reject those who don't think like you, who are not like you, you know. But Jesus points out this is what most people do, whether you believe in God or not. He calls for Christians to far surpass that kind of righteousness, rule-keeping of the Bible by saying, I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, not just your tribe. The word love used here in this verse is agape, unconditional love. If you've been coming here for any period of time, you have heard this word, agape. Agape is so important, it comes up everywhere everywhere. In Jesus' teaching. And here, its uniqueness is taught by Jesus to be, don't discriminate between your neighbor and your enemy. Right? Don't discriminate people between who you like and who you don't like in terms of your regard for them as human beings. It's fine for you to not like people. I mean, you can't help that but they are still human beings. You can't treat them like animals, even if you don't like them. You know, God sends sun and the rain to both evil and good, righteous and unrighteous. Just unconditional as it can get, right? Doesn't mean that God condones evil. Doesn't mean God likes evil. No evil proceeds from God. On a functional level, God rejects evil, but God still sees the image of God in evil people. Do you see the difference? There is unconditional regard. Do you understand? I mean, let me make this clear. I'm a big fan of rules. Green light, go. Red light, stop. I'm a big fan of that. Because if you didn't, I mean, if you just say Oh, rules don't matter. I live by unconditional love. I'm just going to go on like red light. That'll kill you. And that'll kill other people. That's not agape. That causes harm. Rules can bring life. Rules, we need rules at the functional level. If you kill someone, you should go to jail. I like those kinds of rules to discourage murder, Right? but that doesn't mean that people are no longer people. You can't treat them like animals. Like people treated dark colored skinned people a couple hundred years ago, you know, slavery. If you're dark skinned you can just treat them like animal. That's not agape, you understand that, right? That's conditional mentality. Rules are good, But it does not make you more worthy or righteous in the eyes of God. What Jesus introduces with New Covenant is morality based on agape. That's righteousness of the heart, not rules-keeping righteousness. Righteousness that comes from the heart that puts no condition in your regard for the worth in every human being. Do you understand? That kind of righteousness will go far beyond rule keeping. It surpasses rules keeping righteousness. It fulfills the law. Bible tells us agape does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, agape is the fulfillment of the Bible law. Understand understood? Agape based righteousness. And that means sin. It's whatever goes against agape. Righteousness is whatever goes with agape. It compels us to go beyond what the Bible just says in its letter. For example, slavery. If you had righteousness that comes from agape, you would have stood with the slaves. Even if the Bible has verses that support slavery, And which is why conservative Christians fought tooth and nail to defend slavery. To defend the Bible. And to defend the honor of God. Which was right. Isn't it so crystal clear these days what was right? So being LGBTQ is that sin. Being divorced is that sin. Being diseased or born with genetic defect is that sin. All of these have been called by sin by the faithful at one point or another. Seriously, people of faith used to believe that if you were born with a genetic defect, defect, when you had leprosy or something, you are unholy, unclean. You wouldn't even be allowed to come to church because you are not... You're flawed. You, you couldn't appear before God in the court of God. It would be an offense before God. It's in the Bible. Seriously. What a way to twist and weaponize a beautiful ennobling faith concept like standing in the court of God to actually oppress already hurting people. Right? If you're born with some genetic defect, it's not fun. You're vulnerable. And conservative people of faith just stomped on them. Right? If instead if we stand with agape centered morality, we will see that preventing children with genetic defect that would be sin agreed are you with me on that that preventing like you know people with genetic defect from coming to church that would be despicable in my mind because that's conditional mentality i don't care if they were just trying to follow the bible's rules They were sinning because they were causing harm. Bible is so clear. If you cause harm, that's no good, right? Agape does no harm. That's why it fulfills the law. It's not a small thing, such issues. Goes to the heart of the gospel, that kind of thing. So issues like gun control, racial justice, LGBTQ, gender equality, all these issues get mocked by conservative Christians as being woke. Have you heard that phrase, woke? It is often used in a mocking way because they see it as trivial matters that are taking center stage. And a lot of people agree with that. But for true Christians, these are of central importance. Are you following me? Because if you are with agape-based morality, then the first order sin is discrimination mentality. Because it has to be unconditional. That is the central attribute of agape, unconditional. So if you see things out there in the society, that are structured and based upon conditional mentality, then we see that as worldly, sinful structures that are going against the heart of God at the highest level, the most important level. Are you with me on that? So what I ask you today, this is my first practical suggestion, start judging what is sin by asking, Is this agape? Not, is this a rule in the Bible? Because if you go by, is this a rule in the Bible, you'll just be in a hopeless position. You'll be supporting slavery today. Can't do that. Ask, is this agape? Agape fulfills the law. It does no harm. So if an LGBTQ couple wants to just get married have a lovely family, contribute to society, does that harm anyone? I, I, for the life of me, I can't see how that harms anyone. <laughs> you know, just having dark skin doesn't mean that you were born cursed, it's sinning, sinful. I, I can't see that because it didn't harm anyone to be born that way. You know what I'm saying? So if you're born with a predilection for same-sex attraction or whatever else, and you're not harming anyone, how is that sin? Not according to what Jesus taught, not according to Agape principle. In fact, I believe the conservative Church is sinning because they cause great harm to the LGBTQ community. The suicide rate among the LGBT community in church is three times higher than in the general population, which is already far higher than the general rate because of the discriminatory mindset in the general society. The conservative church does great harm to this already vulnerable group by continuing to feed into discrimination using words like "abomination." Using these Bible things, I don't understand why Christians don't reflect on how the same thing was done with slavery. Conservative church claimed that slavery of dark-skinned people was supported by the Bible, used the name of God in vain, inflict great harm. And what is disturbing? So said, there is just no reflection. The Southern Baptist denomination was born to defend slavery. That was the cause they all banded together with. And I just don't hear very much reflection or repentance on that part. They don't come out like Germans do. You know, Germans have museums about Holocaust. Germans repent of what they did unconditional mentality i i don't see that from conservative christians they just merely go along with the same mentality doing the very same thing today on another group of vulnerable people lgbtq people and they just keep doing it and there's no reflection no repentance i call that as sinful as it can get it's a black hearts just no reflection, no humility before God. No fear of God in that. So, I fight for equality everywhere. Unconditionality. That's the, the power of agape. Not at the functional level, but at the fundamental sense of worth. So go out and fight against racism, misogyny, gender discrimination, don't, don't think of it as like, ah, these side issues. These are of cardinal importance in the gospel because these are the things that structurally continue to bolster conditional mentality in this world. And Jesus came and died on the cross to break that down, to break down all walls of hostility, there is no man or woman, free or slave, Jews or Gentile, in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to break it all up. Christian discipleship is all about growing in unconditional mentality. So a practical suggestion there is extend the reach of your connections. Make it diverse. One of the things that I feel very good about this church is the diversity of this church. We have Brazilians to Koreans. You know, I'm a Korean pastor. And I have people, you know, people here, I've never expected a Korean to speak in such a way. My culture is very, like, conservative, you know. But Jesus challenged me. To break out of my heart my callous heart that just wants to follow the rules so much easier right but if you don't break out of that you will never enter the kingdom of heaven you will never experience salvation that comes from agape because agape and rules keeping mentality don't go together it's conditional or unconditional you see that? they cannot coexist You cannot be saved. Jesus is not just threatening. just He's just stating fact. They cannot coexist. You understand that? So I appeal to you, please, if you're a human being, you will have prejudice in your heart. If you're a human being, you will be drawn to loving your neighbor and rejecting your enemies. You will have some discrimination in your head reflect, and repent. Work on it. Work on getting to know different groups of people. Don't just think about it. I mean, if you are just hanging out with people who look like you and think like you, how are you going to grow towards unconditionality? At least grow a little bit in little different conditionalities, right? only way to do that is actually get to know people who are different from you. Churches can be so helpful. Because we can be unified in this principle which can bring in a variety of people. Use this here. It's uncommon. Most churches are very segregated, as MLK, point, MLK pointed out, because of the rules-keeping mentality. But here it's different. You see the, the, the variety. we well, get to know people. Church is not just a lecture. It's a community, stay behind, get to know people. This is the way to grow. Join us. You know, this is a rare and uncommon message. I feel very stru- strongly about this. I, I give money, I give my health, I give my life to this message. Because I truly believe this is a message that will save people and this world. Look at what conditional mentality is doing to this world. It's terrible. Join us. Join this group. Consider making this your cause in life. Gospel. The gospel of unconditionality. Spread this message. Bring people here. You know, I would love to see this church have two services so that the volunteers can, you know, Enjoy the service when they come. So with just one service. All these volunteers can't really, you know? So bring some people. Let's have two services uh, soon. Give financially. God doesn't need your money, but this church needs your money. So we can meet in a nice place like this, right? Make it a cause. It's a beautiful thing to have a cause in your heart that will bring salvation to this world. If you're new to us, we have membership class today. Come join us. There is no obligation to sign up or do anything. Sagapé so and pressure don't go together. So we don't do any pressure at this church. So check us out. Come talk to me. Ask questions. Find out. Join in. And let's spread this message of love. Unconditional. Sounds good. Amen. Let me pray for us. God. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. God, um, I thank you for Jesus and what he taught and how he died on the cross to bring down conditional mentality of this world. Help us, oh God, to develop and grow and have the heart of Jesus in our own hearts. Help us to love Jesus and what Jesus brought. Capture our hearts and break us out of our sinful, conditional mentality that judges ourselves. I confess, God, I wake up all the time thinking, ah, I'm an idiot, God, help us to repent. I repent, oh God. Help us all in this room to repent from judging ourselves and others with conditional mentality that breaks your heart. And you have said over us, you are worth the life of God incarnate unconditionally. It's not about you. It's about the love of God. Help us to live in that. Help us to live in that gospel message that we may be the salt and the light in this world. In Jesus' name.